And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who have taken, who are taken captive by him at his will. Now we mentioned earlier this phrase that says, uh, teaching those, uh, instructing those that oppose themselves. I, I can hear some back, background noise there. Sorry, I can yeah. put a certain Bible, it's my fault. Okay, that's all right. Um, this phrase that says, instructing those that oppose themselves. The Living Bible says, instructing those that are mixed up concerning the truth. Mixed up concerning the truth. Is it possible for Christians to be mixed up concerning the truth? Well, it must be because Paul is uh, writing to Timothy, who's a pastor, and he's, this is what he's talking to him about, uh, teaching those who are mixed up concerning the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Now, in previous sessions... Uh, we've talked about a number of things that open the door for Satan to get a foothold in your life. Uh, we talked about wrong beliefs about God. Uh, this can open the door to tragedy in your life and let the devil in. For example, one of the things we looked at is this belief that God is uh, uh, using sickness to teach you something or to make you stronger. This is one of the biggest killers in the body of Christ. This is a man-made tradition that makes the word of God of no effect. We looked at another example. Many Christians believe that God is the destroyer. This is another man-made doctrine that opens the door for the devil to come in and wreak havoc in people's lives. And these wrong beliefs are primarily due to not rightly dividing the Word of God. They're due to personal experience. They're due to uh, things that we've been taught in church and because of a lack of knowledge of God's Word. So one thing that we've tried to really stress throughout uh, these sessions is that we must examine everything we believe according to the Scriptures. And when we realize we have some beliefs that don't agree with the Word of God, we need to let them go. We also looked at another open door uh, to Satan getting uh, an advantage over us, and that's murmuring and complaining. And we saw that in Numbers chapter 21. Uh, we looked at a lack of knowledge of God's Word and how to apply it to the circumstances of life. Uh, because of a lack of knowledge, uh, you will accept things uh, that you think came from God when God was not responsible for them at all. We talked about wrong thinking. If you think wrong, you believe wrong. And if you believe wrong, you act and you speak wrong. We looked at Job and how he got into fear about his children. 
and it opened the door for the devil to come in and steal everything that he had. Uh, and Job thought that God did it. Job didn't have any revelation about Satan. He didn't even have a Bible. There was virtually no revelation about Satan at all in the Old Testament. They just thought everything that happens to you, it comes from God. And it took him a long time to finally connect the dots and see to it that it wasn't God that had done this to him. It, it was the devil. But, but Job made some false statements about God that were not true. We, uh, we looked at wrong speaking, how words are containers, and they carry what, whatever's on the inside of, of those words. That's what they carry. That's what they contain. And these words are what produce images on the inside of you, either for success or for failure. Uh, you know, the first uh, generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt, God had already planned for them to go into the promised land. But in spite of what God had already said to them, they failed to enter, enter in that land because they went to that land. They were moved by what they saw. They, they came back and they spoke defeat. They believed defeat. And they died in the wilderness. So these people, they were guilty of all three. They thought wrong, they believed wrong, and they spoke wrong. And, and they wound up dying in the wilderness, even though when it was God's plan, perfect will for them to go into the promised land. Now, the last session, we looked at wrong praying, and we looked at how we need to, to pray accurately and effectively. Uh, prayer releases spiritual forces. And this is why it's important to pray according to the word and not pray the problem. In Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus said, pray what you desire. Don't pray what you fear. Don't pray what you fear is going to happen. Pray what you desire. Uh, I heard uh, Andrew Walmack say that uh, at one time he was unofficially engaged to a Christian girl who had this religious belief that, uh, and, and so because she had this religious belief, she prayed that she would have cancer because she believed it would bring glory to God. Now this is lunacy, but this is exactly what religion does. It darkens your understanding. Religion darkens your understanding. And Ephesians 4.27 says, Neither give place to the devil. And when this girl prayed that, she was giving place to the devil. And she died with cancer. Now, did God answer her prayer? No. God did not answer her prayer. She opened the door wide open for Satan to come in and destroy her life. And this is an example of wrong. She did all three. Wrong thinking, wrong believing, wrong praying. And, and she opened the door to the devil and he destroyed her life. Uh, the last uh, time we also talked about strife and how strife results in division, uh, which is the opposite of unity. It's the opposite of walking in love. And strife is a major tool of the devil to conquer and divide. Uh, strife is created by individuals and groups. 
of people who have an intense desire to promote their ideas and their opinions above everybody else's to the exclusion of everybody else. Um, and strife will render your faith uh, ineffective. Uh, it will hinder your prayers. It will affect your physical health. Uh, by, by creating disharmony among individuals and groups of believers. So this is one of Satan's major strategies. And we looked at the cure to strife is walking in love. And when you discern that the devil is dragging you into a situation with somebody uh, where they're just kind of trying to feed you the bait and, and get you into an argument or a quarrel about something, uh, it could be some Bible doctrine. It could, it could just be some petty thing that a year from now won't matter at all. When you discern that uh, the devil's trying to drag you into situations like this, just walk away, just walk in love, and don't allow him to, uh, to drag you into to a situation of strife. Now today, we're, I want to continue uh, with another area that can often um, bring tragedy into our life and, and can certainly open the door to the devil. Uh, let's turn to Matthew 18. There is still some background noise. There's still some background yeah, noise. Yeah, um... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's, I'm not moving anything around here. It, can you hear okay. me? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's fine. Okay, okay. Anything, yeah, I'm exactly. not sure where it's coming from, but I don't think I'm touching anything here. But So um, we're, we're going to Matthew 18. And the area we're going to look at today uh, that can open a door to the devil is unforgiveness and this is a pretty big one uh, we're going to look at Matthew 18 verse 23 well let, let's back up to 21 actually it says then Peter came to him and said Lord how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. Now in today's currency, this is about twenty million pounds. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. So this man and his entire family were going to be sold uh, as slaves as payment for this debt that he, he, he couldn't pay. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Now, this is an absurd statement. On this man's salary, he could not have paid back 20 million pounds in a hundred lifetimes. Yet he's saying, oh, just, just have patience. I'll pay it all back. 
this is absurd. He's just blowing hot air. There's no way he could ever pay this back. The, the point is, this is an unpayable amount of money. It's an unpayable debt. Um, then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, underline that phrase, forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, in today's currency, that's about 33 pounds. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. Now, this servant has just been forgiven of a 20 million pound debt. And now he's choking a guy over 33 pounds. The mercy that this servant has just received, he's unwilling to give to his fellow servant. And we owed a debt that we could never pay back. Jesus paid our debt for us. He canceled our debt of 20 million pounds, so to speak. And the least we can do is to forgive somebody who owes us 33 pounds. In verse 29, So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Now this is a reasonable statement. This man could pay back 33 pounds. This, this was doable. Uh, you know, he could have easily paid back the 33 pounds in a short amount of time. They could have, he could have even done it in installments or something. But the servant would not have it. Uh, he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, just from a practical standpoint, he's in prison now. He can't even go to work, so there's no way he can even pay back the 33 pounds. Verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came to their master and, and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Now the King James Version says the tormentors. He was delivered to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due to him. Now I also mention in verse 32, it also uh, underlined that phrase there again, I forgave you all the debt. So, um, but if, if you read um, here, verse 34, he was turned over to the tormentors till he should pay all the debt that was due to him. Now, if you just read this on the surface, it appears that the king or the master has gone back on what he said, and, and he's, he's decided not to cancel the debt, and now he expects this man to pay the 20 million pounds back. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the money because he says twice in verse 27 and in verse 32, I forgave you the debt. 
So that's done. The money debt is done. The, the debt that he's talking about is the debt of forgiveness that he owes the fellow servant. That's the debt that he owes. He's already received forgiveness from the king. Now he owed forgiveness to his fellow servant. And he says in verse 34, until you pay back the debt of forgiveness, you're going to be put in the hands of the tormentor. Now, who is the tormentor today? The devil. Yeah, the devil. So unforgiveness will put you in the hands of the devil. And that's exactly what we're talking about is how to close these doors on the devil and not give him access to our lives. Verse 35 says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, when it says his brother, to me specifically, it, it means primarily other Christians. Um, but we're talking about forgiveness in, in general. But there have probably been more sermons on forgiveness and more books written on forgiveness than any other subject in the Bible. You can hardly go to a meeting anywhere, especially a women's meeting, and they don't talk about unforgiveness somewhere along the, the way. People hold an unforgiveness in their heart. And uh, in spite of all this, there are millions of Christians who have not spoken to their elderly parents in years or will not speak to another family member and have not for years. And some of these people, they want counseling and they call up all the prayer lines and they, they want prayer all the time. Um, about problems that have their root in unforgiveness. And if you ask them, how, how long have you been, how long has this been going on? 15 years, 35 years, you know, and, and uh, until, until they can pray, ask for prayer to the cows come home, they can have nine months of counseling, but until they get this unforgiveness out of their heart, unless they change what's on the inside, things are, nothing else is going to change. And I'm not saying that all tragedy and all sickness is uh, the result of unforgiveness, but I'm saying it's one of the major causes. It's one of the major causes. Unforgiveness will open the door to the devil, and you will be in the hands of the tormentor. Now, verse 34, here in uh, this parable, say, in the voice translation, it says, The king turned over the unmerciful slave to his brigade of torturers, and they had their way with him until he, until he should pay his whole debt. The devil will have his way with you until you forgive other people. And this is a lot of the root of a lot of people's problems. The devil's having his way with them because they, they refuse to, to forgive other people that have done them wrong. And God will allow it. Uh, this story finishes with the first 
the first servant is still in jail. The, the fellow servant is still in jail. Now, why, why, why would God allow this? Uh, let's turn to Mark, turn over to, uh, just hold your place there. Turn over to Mark uh, 11. This is, this is uh, the scripture that Brother Hagen wrote. And uh, verse, our classic teaching on faith, verse 25 says, And whenever you stand praying, this is right after Jesus has talked about the law of faith, speaking to the mountain, command it to be removed, uh, believe what you say comes to pass, it will uh, happen for you. Right after that, he says, whenever you stand praying, you, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So Jesus said, the Father will not forgive you if you don't forgive others. He will not because he cannot. This is a thing. God will not because he cannot. God cannot forgive you for the sin of unforgiveness until you forgive. Now, 1 John 1.9 says, If we uh, confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this says God is not only faithful, he's also just. God is a just God. And if God forgave you, when you refuse to forgive somebody else, that would not be just. That would be an unjust thing to do. That would not be right. So, so God is just. And um, he's also put his word out. Jesus, Jesus said here, um, uh, you know, it, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also may forgive you. If you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Well, his word's already out, and God cannot violate his word. So this is another reason why he cannot forgive us if we don't forgive other people. He's already put his word out. So he can't go back on his word. Now let's turn over to 1 John. Uh, chapter 5. 1 John, chapter 5, verse 16. 1 John 5, 16. And I'm going to read this from the New International Revised Version. It says, Suppose you see any brother or sister commit a sin, but this sin is not the kind that leads to death. Then you should pray and God will give them life. I'm talking about someone whose sin does not lead to death. But there is a sin that does lead to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that sin. 
Now, here he mentions two types of sin. Sin that, that does not lead to death and sin that does lead to death. Now, I've heard Charles Capps say, and I think he's an excellent, fine, one of the greatest Bible teachers of faith and the Word of God. He says he believes that unforgiveness is the sin unto death. And the, and the reason for that is because if you, if you, uh, you know, just in the heat of the moment, you say or do something on impulse and you say something you shouldn't have said or you do something that, that you shouldn't do and you go back to this person and you say, please forgive me, you know, I, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, that was just an impulse. Uh, and you ask for forgiveness and, and you repent and uh, according to 1 John 1, 9, and it, you're forgiven. It's done. It's in the past. It was a one-time act, and it's gone. But unforgiveness is not a one-time act. It's a continual sin. And that's the difference between a sin that does not lead to death and a sin that leads to death. So if you have unforgiveness in your heart toward somebody, they betrayed you, they... Uh, started some gossip about you, they mistreated you, they took advantage of you, maybe in a business deal or something. And if you pray First John 1, 9, will God forgive you? No, because you still got unforgiveness in your heart. That's a continual sin. You, you can't hold unforgiveness in your heart as a one-time act. That's a continuing thing. And like I said, some people go 15, 20, 25 years with this continual uh, bitterness and unforgiveness in their heart toward people. Now, let's turn over to Luke 17. Luke 17 is another one of our uh, scriptures that deals with the law of faith. And in verse 6, Jesus talks about here another example of the law of faith. But let's back up to verse 3 so we can kind of get the context here. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent. Thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be plucked up by the root, be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. The Greek word there actually says it would obey you. Now, today I don't really want to focus on the verse 6 so much, the... Um, the, the law of faith, uh, that's, that's not uh, what I really want to major on. But uh, this sycamine tree could be anything, uh, any obstacle in your life. But in this context, um, the, one of the things I want to point out is that it takes faith to forgive. 
It takes faith to forgive. And when Jesus talks about the law of faith here in verse 6, about speaking to something, plucking it up by the roots, commanding it to leave, commanding it to be thrown into the sea, and it would obey you. Two verses before, he's talking about forgiving your brother. He's talking about forgiveness when he talks about this law of faith in, the, in this context in Luke 17. So, so forgiveness really here is the context. So it takes faith to forgive. Uh, and when the, when the disciples said 70 times 7, this is going to take lots of faith. So that's why they said increase our faith. And Jesus said you don't need more faith. Just use the faith you have and speak to this thing and command it to be removed and it will obey you. Now this is one of the reasons why millions of Christians struggle in the area of forgiveness is because they live according to their feelings and they're led by their feelings and their flesh. And they don't, their feelings can change and they don't realize that it takes faith to forgive. We don't forgive people because we feel like it. We can't be led by our feelings. When millions of people, they're waiting for their feelings to change and then they'll forgive. Well, that's, that's not going to happen. We, they don't realize that you can make a decision to forgive somebody by faith and your feelings may take a while to change, you know. Uh, you may not ever have a relationship you once had with that person. Perhaps not, but still, you, you can forgive them. Um, and, and you have to forgive people by faith and, and not rely on feelings. So Jesus here in verse 6 gave us the cure for unforgiveness when he said, speak to it by faith and command it to leave you. Now, it's interesting why Jesus used a sycamine tree in this verse to symbolize unforgiveness. Now, why didn't he choose an oak tree or an apple tree or a palm tree? So I did some research along this line and I found out some facts about the sycamine tree from a Bible historian, and I'll just share several of them with you, and it will shed some light on the forces of unforgiveness. The sycamine tree had a very large and deep root structure. This enabled it to survive the extreme heat of the Middle East. And because it had this deep and, and wide root structure, it could survive in the heat because these roots went way down underground to, and they were connected to underground sources of water that continued to feed this, uh, this tree even in the, the extreme heat of the Middle East. Uh, you could even chop this tree down to the base and it would grow back because of this deep root structure that was connected to these water sources underground. So it was very difficult to get rid of it in the natural. So in the same way, bitterness and unforgiveness must be dealt with at the roots or it will come back. Now, a second characteristics, oh, and I'll also point out concerning watering this tree, the devil will remind you of all the mis 
treatment. He'll remind you of your injustices. He'll remind you of how people mistreated you and so forth. And he'll keep watering that tree of unforgiveness and keep it flourishing in your life. This is the way the devil waters that uh, unforgiveness, bringing all these things back to your memory, how people mistreated you. Now, a second characteristic of the sycamine tree. It was the preferred wood used to build caskets and coffins. And this tells us, uh, this describes the deadly forces associated with unforgiveness and bitterness. Uh, it can not only kill you physically, it will kill your spiritual life. It will kill your joy and your peace and so forth. This sycamine tree, um, it, it would grow universal. It would grow uh, any, any geographical location, um, you know, uh, around the world. Uh, and so it's the same with unforgiveness and bitterness. Uh, it, it will take root in the heart of anybody, anywhere. It's not limited to where somebody lives. It's not limit, limited to their socioeconomic uh, status. It's not... Uh, uh, limited to their cultural background or anything. Unforgiveness uh, will grow in the heart of, of any human being anywhere. And it grows best in dry conditions. So people that are spiritually dry, unforgiveness tends to thrive in that atmosphere. Uh, so this, I thought this was very interesting. It was used to build caskets and coffins. So if, if unforgiveness is, is left uh, to grow in your life, uh, it will kill your joy and your peace and your faith, and it can even damage your physical health. Uh, a third characteristic about the sycamine tree was that it produced a fig, a fruit that was very bitter. And this fig was so bitter that it could not be eaten whole. You couldn't eat the thing all at one time because it was so bitter. And so you would, you would have to nibble on it and, and munch a little bit at a time uh, because it was so bitter. And in the same way, people who have unforgiveness in their heart, they will nibble on uh, their past injustices. They'll, they'll, they'll uh, munch on... Uh, what people said about them and the gossip and the false accusations and whoever mistreated them, they'll go back to this memory table and they munch on these injustices and then they pause and reflect on their feelings. Uh, and, and this vicious cycle of going back to the memory table and recalling all these injustices and nibbling on it, so to speak, produces sour and bitter people. Another interesting fact about this sycamine fig was that it was primarily eaten by poor people uh, in Israel who could not afford more expensive fruit. So in the same way, people who have unforgiveness and they're absorbed constantly thinking and talking about uh, the wrong thing, that's every wrong thing that's ever been done to them, they become spiritually and financially poor, sick, defeated, with no joy. One more characteristic about the sycamine tree was that it was primarily pollinated by wasps. 
uh, a certain species of wasp would gain entry into this fig by a tiny little hole in order to pollinate, uh, in order to lay its eggs. And in the same way, the devil will set you up to see if you'll take the bait to get you into uh, taking offense about something, uh, to, to gain entry into your heart and pollinate your heart with unforgiveness and bitterness. And Paul was talking about forgiving when he said, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He, he said that in the context of forgiveness, 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 10 and 11. So we need to recognize when Satan is trying to set us up for an opportunity to get offended so he can gain entry into this tiny little opportunity to pollinate our heart with unforgiveness. So we need to close that door immediately when we recognize what he's trying to do. He's trying to gain entry into our lives. Now, um, I moved away from Luke 17, um, but here in Luke 17, uh, no, I've still got it. Here in Luke 17, 6, Jesus didn't say, in order to get rid of this unforgiveness tree, you need to sign up for nine months of counseling. That's not what he said. He didn't say, call all the prayer lines and ask them to pray that the tree will leave. That's not what he said. He, he said, if you, first you have to want to be free. And then he said, speak to the unforgiveness, pluck it up by the root, command it to leave your life, and go throw it into the sea. Why did Jesus say, throw it into the sea? What, what, what is, what's important about throwing it into the sea? For one thing, trees don't grow in the sea. A tree can't grow in the sea for one reason, because of the high concentrations of salt water there. Secondly, people don't live in the sea. So, uh, so when it's in the sea, it can't come back. Amen? Praise God. So cast this tree into the sea of forgetfulness with the words of your mouth and don't allow it to come back and reestablish its roots in your life ever again. And unless you've been living on a desert island or in a cave somewhere uh, for most of your life with no human contact, somebody has done you wrong. Somebody has gossiped about you. Somebody's falsely accused you. Somebody's mistreated you. Somebody's taken advantage of you in some way. Uh, and, and we all have the opportunity to uh, get offended and uh, to allow, you know, uh, we all have the opportunity to harbor feelings of unforgiveness. Some people are even mad at God. Some people... Uh, will not even forgive themselves. And forgiving yourself is just as important as forgiving others. That's, that's one area of forgiveness that we don't look at much. But people need to be able to forgive themselves and not, not uh, munch on uh, their own, their previous uh, mistakes and failings and so forth. And not allow the devil to water those things in your mind 
you cast that thing out into the sea and, and know it's not coming back. You don't allow the devil to water that thing and let it reestablish its roots. So, uh, we now have the keys to uprooting unforgiveness. Uh, and if you, if you know someone who's struggling in this area, you can take what we've learned here and you can help them. You can share these scriptures with them and so forth. But through the knowledge of God, we can recover ourselves from the snare of the devil. And we can refuse to stay in the hands of the tormentor. Amen? So as we, as we, um, as we receive our tithes and offerings, I want to continue along this line. Uh, you know, we've talked about uh, receiving God's best and experiencing God's best in our lives. Uh, in Ephesians 4, uh, I, I'll just continue along this line for a minute. Ephesians 4, 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, um, Paul talks uh, about all that Jesus did for us. And when we, uh, and it's because of what Jesus did for us that we have right standing with God. And when we consider all that Jesus has done for us, then the least we can do is to endeavor to live uh, uh, our lives in a manner uh, that's pleasing to him. And in Romans 12, Paul refers to this as uh, your reasonable service. Your, our reasonable service is to endeavor to live a life that's pleasing to God. So in this area that we've been talking about, strife and unforgiveness, we've talked about how they will render your faith ineffective, they'll hinder your prayers, they'll affect your physical health, and um, uh, hinder the blessings of God in your life. And we want to live in God's best. That's what we're aiming for, is to receive God's best. And, and strife and unforgiveness is a major blocking, uh, blessing blocking, or a major obstacle to living in God's best. And in order to stay out of strife and unforgiveness, it means we're going to have to walk in love, and not walk in the flesh. Uh, walking in love, as we've talked about forgiving, uh, or walking in love, is a decision. It's, uh, it's, a, it's not a feeling. It's just a decision we make. It's not a feeling. Um, and if you can't think of any other reason to forgive people, Decide to do it just because of Jesus, what Jesus did for us. The parable that we, we read in Matthew 18. We've been forgiven a 20 million pound debt. The least we can do is forgive someone 33 pounds. Amen. 1 Peter 1.14 in the Amplified says, Live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. P 
Peter's telling us that forgiveness is a requirement of the gospel. So it's not down to our feelings, and this is what many this is what many Christians, I think, struggle with. Um, it's a requirement of the gospel, and it's just a decision we make to forgive by faith, not by feelings. Uh, our flesh says, "Make make them suffer," <laughs> you know, make them suffer. They ought to come back to me and ask for forgiveness. You know, that's what our flesh says. But these these are evil desires of our former life. We have a new nature. Our new nature is love and to forgive. And it's a matter of yielding to this new nature, really. It, it's, it's, that's what really, um, the, you know, being taught the Christian uh, life according to the word is and walking in victory is about learning how to yield to our new nature and not allowing our feelings to just drag us along through life all the time. We need to yield to the Word of God. We need to yield to our new nature instead of yielding to the impulses of our flesh and our former life. And one of the greatest evidences that, that shows that you're walking in love is that when you are able to forgive somebody who does not deserve it, that's one of the greatest evidences that you can walk in love and that you are walking in love. Ephesians 4.32 in the Amplified Bible says, Compassionate, understanding, loving-hearted, forgiving one another readily and freely. So readily means don't take all day or don't take three days or three months or for some people 30 years, you know, uh, to forgive people. Readily means do, do it before the sun goes down. You know, do it today. Do it before the day's over. Don't munch and nibble on these injustices and gossips and false accusations. Uh, don't munch and nibble on these things and, and digest them like the bitter fig. Don't, don't do that. Don't allow what somebody did or what somebody said to keep you from experiencing God's best in your life. It's just not worth it. They just move on and leave these people behind. Amen? So if you're ready to rip out the roots of unforgiveness from your heart and to be free from these deadly forces that's been affecting your health and killing your joy and your peace and keeping you out of God's best, then let's let's uh, let's say this together, and let's say this by faith. If we can't say this by our feelings, let's just say, "Lord, I'm saying this by faith." Now we're speaking to this sycamine tree of unforgiveness. Let's say this together. I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you according to Luke seventeen six. And Mark 11, 23, I command you to be plucked up by the root out of my heart and planted in the sea. Jesus said you will obey me. Jesus said, you will never take root in my heart again. 
Steal my peace. Sorry. You'll never steal my peace. You will never steal my peace. My health. My health. My health. My joy. My joy. Ever again. Ever, ever again. I forgive by faith. I forgive by faith. I forget by faith. I forget by faith. Not by feelings. Not by feelings. Even if others did me wrong. I choose to be free. I choose to be free. I free myself from the hands of the tormentor. I freed myself from the hands of the tormentor. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. You're a dead issue in my life. You're a dead issue in my life. Planted at the bottom of the sea of unforgetfulness. Unforgetfulness. Where you can never hold me captive again. Where you can never hold me captive again. Amen.